0: It is a back to work Tuesday here, February twentieth, twenty twenty four. Markets kind of trending down on the open. They were closed yesterday, and uh, this uh, hopefully you had a nice uh, President's Day weekend. I know you did. I saw the pictures from Pittsburgh <laughs> yes. with your dad.
1: I did. You know what? I like sports because of the Penguins' back to back Stanley Cup championships in the nineties. I went as like a seven, eight, nine year old with my dad. Uh-huh. So when they retired Yager's number sixty eight, I had to go with my dad. <laughs> So that's why I was off yesterday. Did you, you make Dad
0: wear a Yager mullet wig?
1: I did not, but I'll tell you what, they were selling them in the you know, shops <laughs> yeah, all in the yeah. arena and people were wearing them. That there were these guys called the traveling yoggers there. Who have all the jerseys of all the teams uh-huh. that he and they all were wearing mullets, and it was just like a really fun time. And you don't have to like the Penguins or anybody, yeah. anything. No, but we for remember out there, what but... it was
0: like when we put Stevie's jersey <laughs> yeah. in, oh, in the rafters, yeah. right? What I a mean, phenomenal celebration! I
1: cried. That was. Well, yeah, With sports, I, I care about sports so but much, but the memories,
2: just, too, though, yeah. The memories that you made. Yeah, Especially being
0: with, with your dad. dad and yes, yeah. and I
1: remember the time going with him as a little kid. That's so. It was really great, so thanks for giving me the day off.
0: No, it was. <laughs> we missed you. Yeah, we did. But we knew you were having a lot of fun. Uh, by the way, Daytona 500, a 23-car crash with seven laps left to go. In the, it's on ESPN right yeah. now. It was a mess.
1: That's a mess, but I always find it anticlimactic when they're just like, let's just call the race. Whoever was leading at the time wins, and that's what happened.
0: Yeah, William Byron ended up winning it, and uh, $2 million in his pocket. Uh, Congratulations. I think he was driving Chevy, if I'm not mistaken, so congratulations to the folks at uh, General Motors. That's a nice feather in your cap as we begin the Tuesday morning and head back to work. Rashida Tlaib has become a national story. She has become, for the far left, a national figure, and this whole uncommitted thing is gaining momentum mm-hmm. as more people are going to the polls for the primary. We were talking yesterday, Lloyd, about yeah. whether or not Dean Phillips is still a factor. He'd canceled a couple of dates. He's got a big ad buy on channel four. Yeah, we we saw we saw uh, as soon as we so said something about it, we saw his ad on he's, TV. He's still very much in you know, I mean there there are all there are alternatives if you want to send a message to Joe Biden to voting for uh uncommitted uh, some folks say it's a, a waste of a vote to leave, and her followers say, no, this is the best time to do it because this is the time to make a course correction before you know, November mm. when you will be penalized in the state of Michigan by Arab American voters who will be deserting you. Yeah. So uh, we'll see where it goes. But what's interesting, Jamie, is it, as you've noted, and we, Fox News had it off the top there, the Biden administration may be making a bit of a course correction independent of that.
1: Uh, Yeah. In the U.N. they vetoed all of these resolutions when it comes to a ceasefire. And there's a current run from Arab nations uh, that's going to be put up to a vote later today demanding an immediate humanitarian ceasefire in Gaza. But we know it will be vetoed by the United States because they say they're working on something else. they're trying to arrange efforts, a deal between warring parties that would bring at least a six-week halt to hostilities and release all hostages taking during Hamas's surprise October 7th attack in southern Israel um, as soon as practicable, they say, a temporary ceasefire. And um so this is different.
0: And the and the American ambassador supporting this. Biden's UN ambassador is signing on.
1: Yes, and they have been very vocal that they believe a ground offensive into the city of Rafah is not the way to go. You mm-hmm. have to find a way there are one and a half million palestinians who went there because of the fighting in the north right and they have nowhere to go
0: now the question is okay so they do this is this like the tree falling in the woods because because the un be any more effectless and <laughs> any more irrelevant
1: solid point because a resolution <laughs> passes and then one yeah, right yeah but it's just a different track that the u.s is taking because instead of vetoing everything now they're sort of coming to the table
0: yeah a um, major story coming out uh, over the past two days and that is uh, chris ray our fbi director saying that the threat of cyber attack from china has never been more present and never been more threatening um we're going to be talking to peter meyer about that coming up but i mean where he went in the munich security conference and you know they're all talking about Navalny, understandably yeah, mm-hmm. ukraine understandably but he's saying hey folks don't take your eye off this when we focus on these crises as we should that's when you get the sneak attack from that's other right. and he says our infrastructure in the united states is vulnerable they've already planted malware it's frightening stuff and we're going to really talk it, and and you know how do you how do you rein china in it's that, it, when they've already basically uh bombed our our infrastructures computers mm-hmm. i mean these little malware things are just sitting there um waiting to go. Um, meantime, uh, a disturbing attack in Troy last yeah. night. It, we know it's a bustling hospitality center for a lot of folks. Just a, it was a brazen
2: attack outside of Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. Um, a woman in her 20s shot multiple times in the legs, accompanied by a friend and a baby. They were heading to the car in the parking lot of the restaurant on West Big Beaver and Troy around 6.30 p.m., uh, when a white Dodge Durango pulled up and began firing. Now, despite the pursuit by Hazel Park Police into Detroit, the suspect managed to get away. The victim, fortunately, in stable condition being after being rushed to the uh, local hospital, Troy Police, in a statement on Facebook, indicated that the incident doesn't seem random and reassured the public no heightened threat. However, the suspect remains at large, prompting police to ask for information from the community, anyone with information on the shooting, Urge to contact Troy Police or Crime Stoppers one eight hundred Speak Up. Now, when you and That's I were talking about this,
0: you, you said something interesting, which is when he gets into Detroit, you've got all these green light cameras, security cameras yes. there that they may be able to track him. Even they may Hazel be. Park Police.
2: Yeah, when they b- lost, lost them, they lost may him. be able
0: to track him. Detroit may be able to track him. They have
2: that crime, uh, uh, the, the crime department there with all the big screens and all the cameras from green light and. From like traffic poles and stuff, they have cameras there too, and they have uh, these license plate readers. And isn't so,
1: that how they track Samantha Wool's alleged mm-hmm. murderer with all these cameras, the cameras. everywhere? So. Yeah,
2: yeah. So let's hope they do that because uh, you know you're at a, you're having dinner at a great restaurant like that, and
1: that, you know, and this time of year, six thirty, it's not dark yet. No, it's that not. is brazen,
2: and you could have walked out with this person and could have <sighs> been caught in a crossfire. So it's very dangerous. So that person needs to be taken off the street. So.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, you could have had just you know a customer there pay their bill a few minutes early, yeah. and they would have been right behind her and caught in the crossfire. Exactly. And um, and that's uh, really would be had, and and hopefully, folks will look at this and say this isn't the kind of random attacks that we need to be worried about. Right. And uh, hopefully, that victim is she giving still, police some direction as to who her likely attackers were. Sure. Were there as well. Um, Big vote coming up in City Council today regarding a six hundred million plus development right here in the New Center area with Henry Ford. I mean, it, it, you really can't overstate how sprawling this is. It's oh, going to that. impact healthcare. There will be a new rehabilitation center. There is new housing that's housing. coming, mm-hmm. and yet there is this showdown. There, we've got these NIMBYs. We've got these anti—I um, I just kind of think they're anti-business. Yeah, well, uh, they're saying, <laughs> "Well, you're giving welfare to to billionaires." Folks, when you look at what's happening here, it's actually a net gain of $85 million in tax revenue.
1: Right. Taxes are coming back on the books in this exactly. situation.
0: Exactly. And, you know, you have these community benefits,
2: which is all part of when these uh, billionaires come in and they bill, you know, the city has to get something, too. If you want tax breaks, city gets something. And they're getting a, they're getting a lot. It's really going to uh, help the city of Detroit.
0: They're going to be giving uh, a huge amount of uncompensated care to city residents mm-hmm. who now are uninsured. Uh, they're going to be building housing, and I think this is. They need the housing to support the workers they're going to bring in there. We know that that's yep. a, a big problem. We've got a housing shortage. Mm-hmm. Well, this helps the housing shortage. So, exactly where do you come off in opposing this? And they're going to say, "Well, we're not opposing. We're just we're saying they can do it on their own." Uh, you try that out. <laughs> just just try that out, and and because you can see there is a, a premium for building in the city. It is, and a lot of it. You know has to do with, with with some of the wage structures here but uh it, it will be a showdown i hope that city council will be able to look at the broader yeah, picture I agree. yeah agree.
1: because look at all of the development in the city there were tax breaks here or there but look at the uh, improvements that have been made yeah
0: and there Good is job. a halo effect right mm-hmm. yeah um getting back to discussing the the 6 mystery date <laughs> that's now being shown in blue in blue in that's blue. that's a significant clue mm-hmm. on the uh, on the michigan central depot project and all of us wondering well what exactly does that mean I think it's obviously gonna be some kind of a grand opening the question is what will that be I mean I've got to imagine they've had they've had an extra year to plan did have Uh, so what you know
1: exciting exciting stuff we were talking about it in the crosstalk with the first show and it's just fun that this is all happening for the city when 20 years ago it wasn't
2: especially the Michigan train
0: station that's been the representation of yeah. the
2: decline of the city for so long.
0: And on the other side, it's grandeur. It's, yes. It's, it's glory days. Exactly. Right? When that was your gateway to the Paris of the Midwest. Mm-hmm. Remember when yeah. we, we carried that? And, we, and when Detroit had the highest per capita net worth of any city in the nation. And, I mean... It, it will be something. I can, the, the the little boy inside of me wants yeah. to see a vintage train, train. show up. <laughs> uh, Listen, know. don't be surprised. You know, you might see something. And I'm not talking some kind of a Lionel thing. Right? <laughs> Did PR and marketing
1: call you? That's a great I, idea. Yeah.
0: Oh, we've got to get to a break. When we come back, we're going to be talking about the great things happening at Belle Isle, talking about a jewel that has new luster. We'll get to that next on JR Morning at 619. You know, something really exciting that we've got going on here is the WJR Travel Club is hitting the road again. And for the first time, we're going to be going to Southeast Asia. Now, this is one of the hottest uh, transportation and and, uh, travel destinations out there, and for good reason. It's exotic. It's mysterious. It also is a good bang for the buck in terms of uh, finding a place where your dollar will go farther and uh we're going to be starting an off 13-day immersive travel experience uh we're going to leave detroit in late september and then uh, go to ho chi minh city formerly saigon we're going to end up boarding our own private luxury riverboat and traveling up the mekong where we will experience the culture of southeast asia the floating villages the floating markets the incredibly uh ancient historical sites uh, that are there we hope you'll come along and we guarantee that this is a cruise and tour vacation so you're going to meet people that will make this experience come alive for you start your journey at wjrtravelclub.com to learn more look at the itinerary i think you're gonna love it and then if you've got questions 1-800-383-3131 one 383 3131 that's your gateway to a marvelous trip with you me WJR listeners. My wife, Gail, we're excited to have you join us for the WJR Travel Club Southeast Asia Adventure.
2: Detroit's Belle Isle transitioned from city control to uh, State Park back in 2014. It was a pretty big deal, especially with Detroit's bankruptcy filing making headlines. And amidst all that chaos, Belle Isle was kind of left hanging. Like, you know, just imagine going to the park and finding that all the bathrooms were closed. It's kind of crazy, right? But here we are today with Bell Isle thriving once again, and joining us on the JR Morning Live line to talk more about it is Maud Lyons, he is interim president and CEO of the Bell Isle Conservancy. Maud, good morning. It's great to have you here.
3: Good morning.
2: It was it was a rough time for Bell Isle before the state takeover, and I remember the controversy surrounding it. But you know, it was challenging. But there's been all these significant improvements now over the last ten years, with the main beneficiaries being really, the residents of Detroit and the surrounding communities.
4: Oh, absolutely. I mean, the whole city was in such tough shape. I mean, the, 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 there was just no way the city could take care of any of its parks. And Belle Isle really needs to be the jewel in the crown. The, the, it's the park that, that everyone is beloved by everybody. And there have been so many improvements in the last 10 years. I mean, the first thing was just getting those bathrooms open, cleaning it up. You know the 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 Michigan Department of Natural Resources has done a really good job of doing that. They brought in MDOT to improve the bridge and the roads. Um, uh, a lot of things to just make the park better for everybody.
0: Well, in addition to improving the amenities, uh, which was huge, yeah, um, they also have they also took steps to make the park safer and to make folks feel safer, which is an entirely different thing. I know that there was some controversy about the Michigan State Police Department patrolling the island and, and park rangers. Is that mostly in the rearview now?
4: I think it is. I mean, there's always you know disagreements that happen from time to time, but the park is is safe. Um, uh, I think everybody knows you know the the you know how to behave, um, and uh, uh, I've certainly not seen any uh, any incidents and not have heard of any in recent years.
2: You know, Maud, it's, it's clear that Belle Isle holds a special place in the hearts of Detroiters. Uh, you get about 5 million visitors, I believe, annually. How do you balance, though, pre- preserving the parks, that natural beauty of Belle Isle and that historical significance, while you ensure that it remains accessible for all those people who want to come?
4: Well, that's a challenge, isn't it? Uh, I mean, Belle Isle is is, you know, 985 acres. So there's room for a lot of different things. So for families... There's the, the pavilions that for picnics There's and reunions. There's the beach. Um, a lot of people love to just go out and sit on Sunset Point. How many wedding pictures have been taken at the Scott Fountain? Uh, you know, but Many, many things for families to do. There's places to see, like the aquarium, which we run, the Belle Isle Conservancy. Um, and this year, the, the Anna Scripps Whitcomb Conservatory will be reopening, probably late in the year. Uh, so that's another great thing to see. There's the Dawson Museum. There's the Nature Center, which was recently refurbished. So it's a great place for, for families. It's also a great place for nature lovers. I mean, this winter, I've seen people out on the inland lakes on Belle Isle skating. Um, I've seen cross-country skiers, bird watchers. Um, a lot of people are out there just to walk and run and enjoy the, 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 the natural environment. Uh, the DNR has been doing a lot of things to be able to restore habitat and get rid of invasive species, and they've done a particularly good job at restoring the flatwoods, which is one of the, the last uh, remaining uh, uh, original flatwoods in our in our region, if not our state. Uh, so And then there's the athletic fields. Uh, there's been a lot of improvements to those, and there's all kinds of sports uh, that, that happen there. There's a new handball court. So I think that there's a good balance of lots of different things for lots of different people.
0: Well, I think that the, the folks may not be aware that while we don't have a lot of oil and gas exploration in southeast Michigan, uh, where we have had it, which is in the upper part of the state's mitten, um, a lot of those oil and gas royalties go to work down here in places like Belle Isle for improvements through the Natural Resources Trust Fund. I also know that, you know, the Penske folks did a great job when they had the, the Grand Prix on Belle Isle also supporting uh, a lot of the uh, improvements there. With the exodus of, of the Grand Prix, is there a, uh, a need for additional funding and where will it come from?
4: Well, first of all, the need for funding on Belle Isle is huge. I mean, there have been estimates um, back in oh around 2005. There was a master plan that was done. This is before the DNR became involved, and it estimated well north of 300 million that was needed to restore buildings and and uh, uh, take care of grounds and so forth. Um, the 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 you know it's it's a it's always a question of uh, when you don't have enough money for everything, what are the things that you do? Uh, and uh, I think the DNR is really to be credited for doing a lot on the infrastructure of the island. Things like taking care of electrical and pumps to take care of flooding issues. Um, uh, just just uh, making sure that the, the the park is operated well. I mean, a lot of that stuff isn't very sexy and isn't very visible, but it's really visible when it doesn't work.
2: Well, we've got about a minute. Lev, uh, what, what is the future of Belle Isle? What other priorities uh, are on tap for uh, Belle Isle?
4: Well, one of the things I'm excited about is the DNR has done a multimodal mobility study, um, which was really uh, uh, wonderfully done looking at uh, pedestrians, cyclists, and and automobiles, you know, how they move around the island, where the pinch points are, what could be improved. And there's a number of great recommendations that will be put into place in the coming years. One of them is to add, uh, improve the bridge and the entry experience, make that easier for people. Um, Another is to add new wayfinding signs so that you can find your way in the park and you know where to go. One of the things the DNR did that was listening to the public, Uh, they had a day at the Dawson Museum that we at the Conservancy helped to coordinate last summer uh, that was to get public input on the mobility study. And one of the results of that was keeping the road that rings the island as a one-way road, but with the idea that the roads on the interior of the island would become two-way. So it becomes a lot easier to know which way you can drive.
2: Well, Maud Lyon, interim president uh, and CEO of uh, the Bell Isle Conservancy, we thank you so much for being here and giving us an update on the great things that the Conservancy is doing to keep our jewel
0: shining. Thank you. Thank you so much. It is Tuesday. That means it's time for Mobility Makers, brought to you by Bridgestone. Getting people down the road matters, but getting uh, generations down them, that's what really matters. Bridgestone. Visit whatreallymatters.com. To learn more, I'm sure we've all been there. You're, you're you're pulling out of a parking space at Target, Yep. and there's another car pulling out crossways behind you. And mm-hmm. your car, if you've got a late model vehicle, yep. will alert you to that. It will. It may even slam on the brakes. Or if a pedestrian ignores your backup lights, and heaven knows there's a lot of those out there, Godly. and they'll cross behind you, your car has automatic emergency braking. The problem is there's a new test that AAA conducted that suggests those systems aren't as reliable as we would like them to be. Reverse automatic energy braking getting a lot of attention. We welcome in Adrian Woodland, Public Relations Program Consultant for AAA of Michigan. Adrian, good morning. Good morning. So, give us a sense of the reliability of these systems and I know you kind of you tested it in three different scenarios. Let's take the most common one where you're backing up and you've got cross traffic coming in behind you.
5: Yeah, so the new research from AAA, um, it just reminds drivers not to put too much trust in their vehicle technology. And AAA studied four vehicles that combine the reverse automatic emergency braking system or reverse AEB. And they also had rear cross traffic mitigation. And so one of the scenarios, as you mentioned, Um, We evaluated how these systems perform when backing out of a parking space into the path of oncoming vehicle, but when there is an adjacent parked vehicle, that's obstructing view. And the results with that test, we found that the reverse AEB systems automatically applied brakes in 65% of test runs and prevented a collision in 2.5% of test runs when we had this particular scenario.
0: So 35% of the time the brakes weren't even applied and uh, 97.5% of the time it didn't mitigate the accident. Yes, yes, exactly. So it applied the brakes but too late? Yes, pretty much. It applied the brakes,
5: but it was too late to prevent the collision.
1: And yet sometimes these things apply the brakes when I know I'm clear of what's behind me. And the (laughs) car like stops automatically. I'm like, what the heck? Yeah.
5: Yeah. So one of the reasons, you know, we did this test and like this, one of the things we tell drivers is always back up cautiously. Especially when an object obstructs your view, you want to pause once the rear of the vehicle has been cleared, once you've cleared the obstruction, and that gives the sensors time to detect a potential collision because, again, you had that obstruction next to you.
2: Well, Adrian, nothing substitutes an engaged driver, though, in the Absolutely. bottom line.
5: Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Drivers should not rely on reverse AV systems to prevent collisions when backing up. Instead, consider the use of backup cameras and other sensors as a way to enhance your awareness.
1: Uh, Adrian, is the point of this study that people are relying too heavily on the technology? You know, and
5: that's one of the points. Another point of the study is, again, to remind drivers that you should remain alert and not become overly reliant on this technology.
0: So are there things that we can do, and you might have touched on this, are there things that we can do as drivers that will make these systems behave more reliably? Just going at things a little slower perhaps?
5: Absolutely, going slower, being cautious when you back up and actually again Using these systems as a way to enhance your awareness, but don't completely fully rely on them. So you still want to use your mirrors. You still want to drive slow and cautiously. You still want to look back.
0: One of the most frightening scenarios is the one that I always worry about with grandkids, especially if they're playing in the driveway, yeah. is the, the system that tells you that there's a child back there, a stationary pedestrian, and mitigates that. How did your test... Do under that scenario?
5: Yeah. So with the scenario with the simulated uh, child uh, behind the vehicle, with the stationary child target, um, with the test vehicle, reverse AB automatically applied brakes in seventy-five percent of test runs and prevented a collision in fifty percent of test runs. Uh, so it was a better result, but again, that is still kind of frightening. Uh, Because, again, you know, according to the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, it estimates every year there are approximately 210 fatalities and about 15,000 injuries caused by backover collisions. And of of those fatalities, approximately 31% are children under five years old. So, again, it's really important to evaluate the effectiveness of these systems and preventing or mitigating collisions with
1: pedestrians,
5: especially children.
1: So the sensors aren't recognizing the little bodies of children?
5: Yes. Again, in, you know, 50% of these test runs, uh, it prevented a collision, which means in 50%, it didn't prevent the collision.
2: And, you know, pedestrians, too, a lot of times when I'm out and, and they're coming, they'll see me coming out. They'll see me they'll see me. I see them, but they see me coming out and they just continue to walk. They just continue to walk behind me. You know, they just won't they won't yeah. stop and just let you come out.
5: They they just continue Are to walk. Are there
0: important takeaways for pedestrians here, Adrian? <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
5: Well, and again it's it's the important takeaway for the driver as well, you because know, there's so many situations, um particularly with the backing collisions, although it happens between vehicles that a Significantly lower speed and resulting in lower injury. Again, children are particularly susceptible to back over incidents in driveways and parking lots.
1: Let me give you a scenario: Costco parking lot. Just be patient. <laughs> there are people
0: everywhere. Yes. Yeah. And don't you yeah. want my parking space? Yeah. <laughs> you let me let me get out. You want the other thing too, and Adrian, I know AAA has been very good on this, and and it's the whole idea of how we train our kids about driveways. The driveways yeah. are not something to be played in. If you if you teach yeah. your kids it's okay to play in the driveway, then they can end up behind your car when you're pulling out. Also, there was a thing called the bye-bye syndrome, where if you teach your kid to come out onto the driveway and wave bye-bye to mommy or daddy, you're teaching them to run out of the house anytime mom or dad leaves. Bad. Yeah bad habit to get into
1: okay Mm -hmm. thank you i just thought i have a little one and so good good (laughs) on you guy i won't do that
0: yeah it's uh, there there are some things over the years that reporting on these things that you learn and and that was one of them um but uh so what's the final takeaway
5: again the final takeaway is always back up cautiously especially when an object obstructs your view and drivers should not rely on reverse A-B systems to prevent collisions when backing up. Instead, consider the use of the backup cameras and sensors as a way to enhance your awareness.
0: Yeah. Adrian, thank you very much.
5: Thank you for having me this morning.
0: How often when you guys pull out at the time of the morning that we pull out, though, that you pull out and you realize that there's so much schmutz on your backup camera that it really doesn't help you that much? (laughs) Exactly.
1: I need one of those squeegees for that little camera. (laughs) I I know.
0: you just, yeah, one little guy to go out there and and take it off. I'll tell
1: you what, I turn this off. There's a button on my car to turn it off. I'd rather just do it myself because it it stops. The brakes will stop sometimes. I have a really tight driveway, and it's just easier to do it myself.
0: Yeah, to watch and yes. do it old school—a very yeah, right. engaged, old-school way sure, of doing yeah. it. Yeah, well, you know, there's also a rollaway feature on that as well. I'm on a hill, so every time I back up, it says your car's rolling away, <laughs> and it slams on the brakes, and then things will pop out of my wife's mouth that I've never heard before. Uh-huh, it's just like it's—it's—it's mm-hmm. it's, it's really, really uh, a nasty surprise. When we come back, kind of a nasty surprise for the State Board of Education. The governor wants to remove 75% of its funding away and move it into a system that she controls. Is this a power grab or is this meaningful education reform? We'll talk to a leading member of the State Board of Ed next on JR Morning at 649.
1: A shift in funding from the Michigan Department of Education to a new governmental department for lifelong education advancement and potential, that's also called My leap has board members concerned. According to the Detroit News reporting, the governor's executive budget recommendation presented last week, including a spending plan about $162.8 million for the Department of Education. That's down 68% from last year's executive recommendation. Let's bring in Nikki Snyder, Republican on Michigan State Board of Education and Michigan candidate for U.S. Senate. Good morning, Nikki. Good morning, Jamie. How are you? I'm fine. Thanks for joining us this morning. So There's this reorganization, and $430 million is going to this Great Start program for MyLeap. What is the concern with the shifting of money?
6: So, and just to get up to speed with what's happened with this EO, it's an unconstitutional EO that was mandating a new bureaucratic agency. Yes, we call it MyLeap. State Board of Education members expressed concern. The AG said it wasn't unconstitutional on its face. It was premature to react. That was a couple months back but now we see over $400 million appropriated that was appropriated to operate MDE going and transferring to MyLeap. So, and one of the things I would say that is most concerning is the way in which the governor is suggesting that we upskill the population. Those were her words through these dollars and through my when we actually de-skilled public education over a number of decades when we took away career and tech education, right? And so when you now use those dollars to encourage students to take on debt at the community college level and achieve an education to become uh, skilled in a way that you would have graduated with high school diploma, I would say that you're really wronging people in general. And so I don't even think that, that the board, the my leap is just unconstitutional, but public education is fundamentally changing in a very negative way.
2: Uh, what do you think uh, needs to happen next to to make sure Michigan's uh, education system is, is adequately funded and, and, and effectively basically serving the students?
6: We need to make sure those dollars get directly to students. We need to have the conversations at the board table. State Board of Education is constitutionally elected, right, statewide. We're elected representation to have these important conversations at the board table, and yet what's happening is the conversation is taken away from elected representation when things like this happen, and and it's being had behind closed doors. And so I want parents to be able to see and hear what's happening with their tax dollars and how these things are changing in public education, as opposed to them just happening without their input and decreasing their access to education.
0: The governor says that this is my leap is a new way to approach K-12 education, which is now pre-K through, what, 14 is what she's talking about, and that my leap mm-hmm. is only going to handle the low end and the high end of that age range, But if so, why does that take 75% of the MDE funding? That seems like a a much larger uh, bite than necessary.
6: Yeah, it's a very inaccurate interpretation of what's actually happening. So maybe a small amount of dollars is going to the Great Start program through MyLeap, and that's not necessarily oversight of public education, but a very large amount of dollars. Again, over 400 million is being taken from MDE and transferred to MyLeap. And a lot of that covers things that we used to include in public education before you'd even graduate with a diploma. I think of you know, the decades that, that, that students graduated from public education with a set of skills they owned, right? They could use both of their hands, build things like sheds if they were laid off. They had a set of skills that they could provide and put food on the table. Now they're not graduating with that set of skills We're, you know, kind of moving them into community college and asking them to go into debt to get a certification by the age of 30, which is the whole 60% of our population will be certific- certificated by 30. Those are things we used to offer them before they graduated with their high school diploma. When we take away services that we used to offer, repackage them and give them back to you at a more expensive rate, that's not good governance.
1: Nikki, devil's advocate here. Everyone agrees that reading and math scores aren't adequate. So why not put money into early education? Try this out because the antiquated system didn't seem to be working.
6: Yeah. The reality is we have. We already have. One of the biggest issues with literacy, not just in Michigan, but across the nation, is that we aren't teaching basic things like phonics, right? So we've put money into you know literacy methods that don't work. We have to make that shift at the local school board level, and we're seeing that happen, you know, one school district at a time, and we're going to continue to see that happen. But taking your education system and fundamentally breaking it to put it back together into pieces, going the way that you want it to go, isn't necessarily going to attack literacy. And that's something I've done since I was elected on the State Board of Education in 16, was talk about the specific ways in which we need to improve literacy, which is the method by which we teach it.
0: I realize that this is viewed as a power grab uh, through the eyes of the the board of of the MDE. And and, and, uh, let's be clear here. You've got a lot of Democrat support to at least uh, informal support, (laughs) folks raising some flags here. So the concern is bipartisan. But is there, again, an alternative to this, which is the more power that Governor Whitmer uh, seizes here, Hopefully, the more accountability she has. So if, you know, don't voters now have some place to go? You know, voters aren't always engaged. They may not know who's on the State Board of Education, but they sure as heck know who governor the governor is.
6: Yeah, but the swings that happen with that kind of change, you have to imagine what happens every four to eight years when a governor is elected. Our public education system needs to be stable and secure and accessible, affordable, innovative, the things that, that that our public education system needs to be needs to withstand the test of time. That was the entire purpose of instituting a constitutionally elected Board of Education in 1963 when our constitution, that was the last time our constitution was actually rewritten. And one thing I'll, I'll ask people to consider is, historically speaking, the very first constitution that Michigan adopted was changed within 15 years because there was too much central power underneath the governor. And that was included in the way that we elected our AG and various other offices that that became elected, because people actually need access to the representation that they should have, right? That's mm-hmm. that's the way we govern. That's the form of our governance. And so the, the shortest living constitution in the state of Michigan was 15 years. And it was the very first one. There was way too much central power. I would say the last solution to problems is to do that again
1: just 30 seconds left but this push to register homeschooled children in Michigan we're just one of 11 states that do not require it what is the backlash what is the problem with doing that sorry you don't have much time to answer no that's okay just essentially
6: taking freedom away from people to opt To homeschool if public education isn't working for them is really significant when we have a landscape of school choice what can happen is parents have the ability to make the decision that's best for their individual child and that is always going to yield the best educational outcome for that student
1: all right thank you nikki snyder republican on michigan state board of education and candidate for u.s senate thank you for your time thank you the news topics of the day next on jr morning
0: It is Tuesday, February 20th, 2024. Uh, Nine days left in February. We sometimes forget this is a leap year. This is a, a, a leap year. But, man, did that skate by quickly. And all of the tigers are in lakeland right now all have reported which means we'll see if we can get some offense and some bats cracking
1: you know those signs kids hold up on the first day of school and the things yes. they like jason benetti the new tigers <laughs> announcer held that up <laughs> for his first day it was cute
0: good for him yeah lots of changes coming uh and uh, parker meadows apparently um is now going to be our designated second f- center fielder which is is great, great. there's they, you know they've been, the the, the they're going to rely a lot on pitching. We'll see how that goes. Uh, meantime, we, we don't think of Detroit as being a, a city that's plagued by migrants the way that New York and San Francisco Chicago. and other sanctu- Chicago so-called sanctuary cities are, uh, even though we do have some sanctuary, sanctuary policies here. Nevertheless, apparently there is a there is a housing problem that they're trying to address here with the migrants that do end up on our doorstep.
1: Yeah, the story came out yesterday. Michigan asking residents to help house migrants in their homes and help resettle them into society as the crisis of the southern border continues. The State Department of Labor and Economic Development said volunteers who wish to participate must commit for at least 90 days as part of the refugee support program. Quote, programs like the Welcome Corps advance the Office of Global Michigan's mission to make Michigan the home for opportunity for our immigrant, refugee and ethnic communities. That's according to Poppy Hernandez. Uh, the global Michigan director. Expanded refugee resettlement pathways empower more Michiganders to support our state's growing refugee population. So sponsors expected to support newly arrived refugees by greeting them at the airport, securing and preparing initial housing, and enrolling children in school and helping adults find employment. So if you're interested, you can apply.
0: It's compassionate. It's probably necessary, but doesn't It give aren't they going to phone back to their relatives in Venezuela and say, "Chase, things are great here in Michigan."
1: Well, these are migrants from Cuba, Haiti, Nicaragua, and Venezuela. Um, these are people who applied for asylum at the U.S.-Mexico border,
0: which we won't know for how many years whether or not they're eligible for it legitimately under the under what we've got going now. It could be you know five to ten years. You know, um,
1: I, it's, it's a personal choice, right, if you mm-hmm. feel like you want to do this.
0: Yeah, if you, and, and that's true, and it, right? it's probably going to be done, a lot of it's going to be done through churches, I would bet, a lot of this uh, yes. uh, you know, extension. I mean, New York just made 17,000 migrants eligible for cash in hand payments. Um, this is so that they can be to some degree self-sufficient. Now, that's just a fraction of the 150,000 migrants that they're trying to deal with there. Um, but again, isn't the message home going to be, hey, Brothers and sisters, I just got uh, you know a, a couple thousand dollars from the state of New York, and life here is pretty good. And yeah, they got us in this luxury hotel, and doesn't that just encourage and exacerbate the problem um, as, as word trickles back to others who? And and look, make no mistake, there are people who are desperate down there um th- th- there
1: are families and children who need it and then there are some people who abuse it right yeah
0: that this is about economic opportunity and our, our that is supposed to be a, a small door um devastating uh, shooting apparently that we're following up some breaking news yeah breaking news uh 11
2: year old girl fighting for her life after being shot in the head now this is according to detroit police we're getting this information in the residence is of the 6000 block of pennsylvania Near Gratiot in 94 was uh, about 20 individuals inside this home. Uh, two guys uh, approached the house around four this morning and just started firing shots into the home, about 23 shots to be exact, uh, were discharged. One of them struck the 11-year-old while she was seated on a couch. The victim's aunt uncle rushed her to a nearby hospital. She is in critical condition. This is not the first time. An attack on this residence has happened a similar shooting occurred back in December of 2023 though fortunately no injuries were reported so police are still actively searching for these two suspects that they saw on a camera approaching the house
0: more concerns about Alexei Navalny and uh, this huge void that is left in Russia uh, um, amongst the freedom-loving dissident population there more Main Street russians being taken into custody mm-hmm. for protesting his horrible death. video horrible video there um president biden um i, I would play the sound right for you but it was in front of the chopper you wouldn't be able to hear a yeah, thing yeah. but basically saying they're considering sanctions well, why do you have any sanctions left <laughs> right yeah, you what, should have exhausted what, every last is, one of is them is it just <laughs> me or, or should all of those arrows already be fired out of his quiver yeah. at everything that putin has done over the last two years with the invasion of ukraine um, but nevertheless, the, the Biden administration struggling to find a way to, to um, respond. Uh, respond to this. Meantime, Trump, uh, who was silent for the better part of three days on this, um, made it, quite frankly, about him. He is comparing himself uh, and the op- oppression that he is feeling. Uh, he feels he's a political dissident against Joe Biden and saying the weaponizing of the Justice Department is uh, making him feel like an American Navalny. He didn't use those words exactly, but that is the characterization that he left. He says, the sudden death of Alexei Navalny has made me more and more aware of what is happening in our country. Um, He misspelled or used an alternative spelling of of Navalny's name, did not condemn Putin, um, really didn't cast any kind of support for the dissidents there, just went out to say that um, crooked, radical left politicians, prosecutors, and judges are leading us down a path to destruction. Um, some opinion makers in the Wall Street Journal pushing back hard today saying, look, Joe Biden is a lot of things. He is maybe incompetent. He may be um, cognitively impaired. Mm-hmm. His policies may be headed, But he's not killing his <laughs> dissident opponents. He is not jailing his opponents. And and yes, you are drawing his fire, but this is not an equivalency situation,
1: right? There's and a the dif- difference between the United States of America yeah. and Russia. Jerry well,
0: Baker in the Wall Street Journal saying, if you're doing that, you are a victim of moral blindness. If Trump goes to jail, he'll say that
2: Biden jailed him.
0: Yeah, but yeah, you know. and, and and probably will draw more comparisons to you know and, and Navalny and 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 uh, making him there's like a, Navalny a, a martyr. There's a
2: GoFundMe page. For uh Donald Trump for that three hundred and fifty five million dollar judgment. Yes. Yes. Uh he's raised six hundred and six thousand
0: dollars. Okay. By so. the way, the sneakers that he dropped? Four hundred bucks, right? Four hundred mm-hmm. bucks. But there have been some folks that if some uh, memorabilia experts have picked them up and they're now listing them for forty five thousand dollars on eBay. On eBay, yeah, okay. we'll see. We'll right. Good see. luck with that. We'll see what they get there. Coming up, we're going to be talking with uh, Peter Meyer about the warning from our FBI director about Chinese cyber hacking. We will discuss Navalny. Uh, And also a new foreign aid package from the House Problem Solvers Caucus. Is that something he would have gotten behind were he still in the House? And as he hopefully, uh, is in his mind, heads towards the Senate. Time for WJR's Business Beat, brought to you by shelving.com. We rack your world. Here's Jeff Sloan, founder and CEO of Startup Nation. Good morning, Jeff.
7: Good morning, Guy. Lloyd, Jamie, you can't talk business tactics these days without considering factors associated with generative AI. It's simply touching nearly every aspect of business in one way or the other, and we are keeping a close eye on how it's being used these days. We've got all the latest, and now a new study from Winterberry Group makes clear the impact that generative AI is having on content development for businesses. Now, first, by way of background, content development is critical for businesses because publishing content can have very positive ramifications on a business's search engine optimization objectives and drive organic traffic that can result in sales, for which, relatively speaking, there is very little cost associated. And to achieve the objective, most marketers are now putting generative AI to work to generate the content used for these content marketing objectives. In fact, of the marketers polled, 63% now use some form of Gen AI to drive and execute their content development. According to the study, the forecast calls for $56 billion in the US to be spent on content development using Gen AI. That compares to $48 billion in 2023. Gen AI applications include online channels where marketers can engage with target audiences via content marketing and advertising, the study says. These channels include email, websites, social media platforms, search engine, SMS, and video. Now look, business is fast moving these days. To keep pace, you simply must at least consider putting the power of Gen AI to work in your content development campaigns in order to stay competitive. I'm Jeff Sloan, founder and CEO of StartupNation.com, the source for everything you need to start and grow your own business. And that's today's business beat on the great voice of the Great Lakes, WJR. The cyber threat posed by the chinese government is massive china's hacking program is larger than that of every other major nation combined and that size advantage is only magnified because the prc uses ai built in large part on stolen innovation and stolen data to improve its hacking operations including to steal yet more ai tech and data
0: cyber capability that is greater than every other nation's capability combined. That is FBI Director Christopher Wray talking about China's threat in the cyber attack sphere. He was talking to members of the Munich Security Council, the Munich Security Conference going on there. They were understandably obsessed with Putin, uh, Ukraine, and Navalny, but saying you can't take your eye off of China. Uh, So what is the appropriate response there. We welcome in Peter Meyer, the former U.S. Congressman from Michigan's third district on the west side of the state, also a candidate for the U.S. Senate. And uh, Peter Meyer, good morning. Good morning. Thank you for having us on. Do you think that our leaders in Washington understand that there there's a lot on everybody's plate, but they understand the magnitude of this threat?
3: I think within the intelligence community, it is understood. I think within the broader population, I and mean, frankly, the scale—it's hard to imagine. I mean, uh, Director Ray was specifically talking about our electrical grid and energy infrastructure, which is a massive concern. You know, I think we think of hacking as something that—you know—is a when they have access, they attack. The reality is the Volt Typhoon, the Chinese hacking network that was uncovered. You know, the greater fear is that this these systems, these these weapons will sit dormant up and until. Potentially, China wants to invade Taiwan and then shows us the leverage that it has, shows us, you know, um, a test of our will as a country. You know, if we were to defend Taiwan and all of a sudden the power goes out in Austin in the middle of the summer, people start dying. It goes out in um, Denver in the middle of a cold freeze and people start dying. I mean, this is a way for other countries to exert leverage over us, to pressure us. Um, and it, it will test us. And, and I think what our officials should be doing and what I know is a concern within the intelligence community and the domestic law enforcement community is trying to find, um, trying to see, you know, where where the breadcrumbs may lie, Try to find out where these vulnerabilities have been exploited and stop them. But the reality is we have mm. such a broad and decentralized uh, infrastructure on the digital side within this country, you know, whether you're talking about internet of things connected devices within someone's home or we're talking about pipelines um, you know energy healthcare infrastructure
0: refineries
3: and refineries i mean this is something that uh, we, sh- we are right to be paranoid about uh,
2: the uh, problem solvers caucuses have come together and put together this um, border bill uh they say it's a, it's a really good uh piece of legislation it's bipartisan it's pared down it's airtight uh basically no one can criticize it i know you have been a member of the problem solvers caucus what do you think um uh, do you think this was something that will get us some type of border deal
3: i i i wish i had that optimism you know i mean i think if you saw what president biden um what some folks on his team had remarked yesterday, they basically said, well, listen, if if Congress isn't gonna pass something, we may need to take executive action ourselves. And (laughs) I think we talked about this the last time I was on, how much of an an insult it is to the intelligence of Americans, this shell game of of excuses. There is clearly need for legislation on immigration, but the acute crisis, crisis we are facing on our southern border could largely be addressed, not completely, could largely be addressed solely through executive action and the actions of the Biden administration, which he has, you know, so far chosen not to do. But now, you know, after the current border bill failed, says that he might just have to do that thing that he said he couldn't do. And so I think, um, I give credit to those who are trying to work on a problem. I think it is important. But the acute humanitarian crisis we're facing uh, does not need legislation, and is something that Biden, if he sincerely cared and didn't just treat it as a political talking point, you know, could make significant progress on tomorrow if he so chose.
1: Uh, couldn't you say that about the congressmen who say it's a crisis? I mean, they, it's saying that it's not clear if the GOP leadership will consider this new bipartisan House bill either.
3: No, and I've been frustrated by a lot of the ways that my former colleagues have, have treated this as a political talking point, right? I, I think you can level that accusation fairly on both sides of the aisle. Uh, it is entirely sincere to say that the changes that are needed to our asylum system, which is one of the reasons why we have the mess at the border that we do, that that is going to require a legislative fix. But I think it is the height of of dishonesty for the Biden administration to say that their hands are completely tied when there are literally laws that they are refusing to enforce on
0: our southern border. And we also haven't heard from former President Trump on this either, even though it would reinstitute two of his keystone uh, cornerstone policies, which would be Title Forty Two, and remain in Mexico. Um, Peter, also, all of us mourning the death of this incredibly brave freedom fighter, uh, Alexei Navalny. Um, th- there is a question about how we should respond, both globally, but it, as as Americans. Yesterday, President Biden alluding to maybe some sanctions that they're considering. It kind of kind of left me a, a, a little bit shocked that i mean that we even still have any sanction arrows left in in our quiver shouldn't we have fired all of those by now what can we do and what would be an appropriate response
3: (laughs) to your point the amount of times where uh, a new atrocity would be unveiled in ukraine and biden would say well now now we're serious it's like wait (laughs) what were we before right you always want to have an arrow left in your quiver but the fact is i mean um What the U.S.'s response should be is to recognize and understand, especially, frankly, on behalf of the American people, uh, who Vladimir Putin really is. I mean, this is a guy who who came into power. His his ascent from prime minister after he got out of the KGB, his ascent from prime minister to president came on the backs of hundreds of civilians dying in apartment bombings. Uh, There is very credible evidence were organized by the KGB. Uh, I mean, he has assassinated the leader of the opposition party, Boris Nemtsov, back in 2015. He has poisoned with um, uh, polonium-spiced radioactive element tea, defectors. Um, I mean, folks who – even Alexei Navalny. I mean, before, um, obviously, his his death most recently, Navalny had to flee the country because Putin poisoned him with a toxic uh, synthetic nerve agent called Novichok. Um, and he barely survived that. Yeah. I mean, Putin is the – if you look up in a dictionary, evil dictator, I mean, Putin fits the Bill 280, right? So we should be under absolutely no illusions there. Yeah. Um, I mean, we need – you know just immediately after, um, I think it was yesterday, India restarted uh, purchases of Russian oil, another way yes. that a lot of his assets are being refilled. I mean, the number one thing we could and should be doing is look at where Russia is profiting. And if we're unable to stop it, if we're unable to sanction it, if it's occurring on another market, then we better be doing everything we can as a country to, I don't know, export as much natural gas as possible because that undermines Putin's ability to get cash reserves. And yet that's a place where Biden just last week turned around and said, well, you know what, Uh, maybe we should slow this down because of global warming. No matter that. Natural gas is replacing coal, Shooting natural (laughs) gases, shooting himself in the foot. foot.
0: Time and again, we should also sit harder on Turkey, which is creating loopholes for Russia as Mm -hmm. well. Peter Meyer, always a pleasure to talk with you. Be safe on the campaign trail.
2: It's a pivotal moment for Detroit's new center neighborhood as the Detroit City Council prepares to vote today on significant tax breaks for a transformative project. All eyes are on the potential reshaping of this vibrant community here in New Center. At the heart of the discussion is the proposed expansion of Henry Ford Hospital, developers seeking 296 million in incentives while Henry Ford Health, as a nonprofit is already tax exempt, it is spearheading the Future of Health initiative. Incentives' attention is drawn to its partner the Detroit Pistons and their request for a substantial portion of these tax breaks to facilitate the construction of 3 apartment buildings now to shed light on the intricacies of this proposal and its implications. We're joined now on the JR Morning Live line by Joe Gillian. He is reporter for Axios Detroit. Joe, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me. So with the city council set to vote on these tax breaks, and I'm sure they're going to get, they're going to hear an earful uh, this morning. What's the general sentiment you think among the residents in the community?
8: Um, That's a good question. Uh, I was at the committee hearing on Thursday that kind of teed up this vote, this possible vote today. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the residents who showed up to the meeting were against the tax breaks, particularly those for Tom Gores and the Pistons. You know, they talk about Tom Gores' status as a billionaire. Why can't he pay for this himself? That's the message from a lot of folks who showed up at the meeting. But there were others who attended virtually, you know, since COVID Detroit City Council right. has Zoom meetings where people can stay at home and wait in line to make a comment. And a lot of those um, commenters were in favor of it. You know, they talk about the jobs. They talk about um, the revitalization of New Center, which in a lot of ways is already on its way, but obviously a huge hospital expansion, new apartment buildings does change the face of the neighborhood. And that's another piece of it is how that community impact unfolds. And there were other um, people at the meeting who were from that area who had concerns about, you know, Henry Ford's partnership with the neighborhood that goes back decades, about a hundred years, actually.
2: There are community benefits attached to this too, though, right?
8: Yeah. So. And, and to that you know, point,
0: you just, Joe, you and Annalise did a great job yesterday breaking down that community benefits evaluation that they're, they're, they're like a half billion dollars
8: apart. Yeah. Well, you know, that's, it, it, there's a lot of you know tricky math that goes into what is an actual community benefit, And that is where a lot of the disagreement um, lies when it comes to the the neighborhood members who aren't really ready to go gung ho for this project yet. The hospital says we're going to increase uncompensated care to the tune of three hundred million. We're going to be operating a research center in this neighborhood to the tune of ninety million, and on and on but the neighborhood advocates say, well, is that really a benefit to the us when that's part of your project already? Or because you're a nonprofit hospital system already and you're required to provide community benefits in exchange for that nonprofit status, and that often includes uncompensated care already. So where do these community benefits begin with the project already as is, versus what are you adding to us because you're asking us to put it in our neighborhood with these additional tax breaks on top. So, yeah, there is a huge disagreement on the size of that community benefits package and the value of it, but I'm not sure that that's really going to be where city council is going to have the biggest problem. I think there are negotiations underway for Henry Ford to make some additional contributions that will satisfy city council members, and I do think they're going to focus on these tax breaks as well, so Mm -hmm. we'll see where their votes are.
1: Uh, Joe, some are saying that this would be a net positive for the city because taxes will be coming into the tune of $118 million over 35 years when they wouldn't have before.
8: Yeah, that and that is, you know, there is a formula for projecting tax benefits that often comes out to a net positive, And I'm not discounting that possibility, but there is some speculation built into that. Um, And there are some assumptions made, um, but the argument often comes down to why can't you just pay for it yourself? Yes, there may be additional taxes that come online. Yes, there will be properties that were formerly owned by Henry Ford and not on the tax rolls, but by, you know, leasing them to the Pistons for these apartment buildings, they will be generating property taxes for the city where they didn't exist. Mm -hmm. But the question for residents comes back to why don't you just do it anyway? well and what is the answer
0: to that because uh obviously there is a premium for doing business in the city there are uh, because this isn't a a green field there are extra costs there are infrastructure costs uh Mm -hmm. what what costs would the developers cite and let's not lose sight of the fact about just how incredible this is, you've got a sports owner willing to invest tens of millions of dollars do. on housing right. in Detroit. It's not part of his portfolio, and yet he's doing a lot of this because he wants to help the community.
8: Yeah, I mean, sure, there are definitely positives to it. Um, New Center could use the help, and I should point out um, the Henry Ford Hospital expansion of two billion is not seeking any tax incentives. Right, right. You know, as you mentioned in the introduction the Pistons housing development is seeking a a substantial portion of this. Uh, But just to your original question in terms of, you know, why do they need the tax breaks? Some of it comes down to profitability and, you know, this is a business deal in many ways. So there, you know, people don't want to be losing money, but just to be specific, uh, the Pistons have said, if they do not get the 230 million in tax incentives that they're asking, the return of investment on their, apartment buildings will be a negative 6% versus a positive 4.5% return with those taxes.
2: Will it be affordable housing part of this as well, Joe?
8: Yeah, so the three buildings that they're going to be developing have a total of over 600 units, and they're committing to affordable housing in about 20% of them, and there's a range. Some of those are considered deeply affordable, which are are set aside for people who are making around twenty thousand a year in a two person household and there are some set aside for those making a little more than that. But of the over six hundred units combined in these three buildings, about a hundred and thirty of them will be set aside for those making below the area median income.
1: Joe, do you think city council makes a decision and votes today or punts it?
8: Um if I had to bet, I would say they punt it probably one more week, mm-hmm. but um, I do think there is some urgency in general behind this project and, you know, Michigan state, Henry Ford and the Pistons are presenting a united front. They are a hundred percent together on this. They are, you know, appearing at meetings together, their, um, materials and kind of public relations pitch about why this project is important is all together. And they're very, you know, powerful and compelling. Right. I think city council could vote on it today, but I know that there are a lot of outstanding questions for members who heard the plan on Thursday. Even they had some questions still, so I think they probably will punt, but they definitely could have ironed those things out over the weekend and they could vote today.
0: Joe, and very quickly, we should point out that Henry Ford has said, look, if we lose the housing piece, they've said, I think they've used the term three-legged stool here. They've said, if we lose the housing piece, we have to shrink our health care piece. So there, there could be an employment impact here.
8: That's possible. You know, I, I can't really assess that kind of, um, I guess threat is one way to put it, because developers often, you know, use uh, scenarios that might come out if city council doesn't vote on their timeline, and they rarely come to fruition. Mm-hmm. So I can't really say I've seen the developer follow through mm-hmm. on an alternative scenario like that because city council usually and the city in general, not yeah. just city council follows those timelines because these projects are big and they are game changers. Um, but for city council, you know, it comes down to, you know, are we representing the residents correctly?
2: Joe Gillian, reporter for Axios Detroit. We appreciate you being here this morning. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot for having me. I think they're going to, I think they may vote on it, but if they punt it, that's because they're going to do some renegotiating on these community benefits Could and getting be. a little bit more. Because I've seen it done before. That's the only reason I'm saying that. I've seen them do this with with the Hudsons building. They kind of punted that uh-huh. until they sweeten that. Oh, they punted more bit. than the Lions. For yeah. goodness' <laughs> sake, <laughs> exactly. I mean, you know, you know more so than
1: Jack Fox. <laughs> we'll see yeah. what
2: happens. Coming up at uh, seven forty nine, uh, Marie Osborne will be here. The FDA approved a medication that's uh, used to help lessen the severity of accidental allergic reactions. We'll talk
0: more about that with Marie. At 749 on JR Morning. I am thrilled to extend a special invitation to you to come traveling with the WJR Travel Club and the destination we've chosen is a first for us and it's an exciting one late September we're going to be heading off to Southeast Asia to visit Cambodia and Vietnam. Gail and I are so fired up and when you read the itinerary for this adventure You'll be fired up, too. First of all, your dollar goes further in Southeast Asia. And when you look at the value that Cruise and Tour has packed into this package, I think you'll agree this 13-day immersive experience that's, that awaits us is going to be a ton of fun, hugely interesting and building great memories. We're gonna get our own private luxury riverboat, sail up the Mekong River. We're going to visit the floating villages, the floating markets, uh, witnessing the wildlife. I understand that freshwater dolphins are a big thing there. That's going to be fun to experience. And we're going to be visiting with the locals that can really make their experience, uh, and their experience going back to the 60s, come to life for us Americans as we visit. their very unique culture. Uh, So we hope you'll join us. The food is going to be amazing. It will be a lot of fun. Go to the WJRTravelClub.com website for the full itinerary. Check it out. And if you've got any questions, the folks at Cruise and Tour are eager to answer them. 1-800-383-3131. That's 1-800-383-3131. Gail and I can't wait for you to join us because, frankly, you're the best part. (laughs) WJRTravelClub.com. Visit it today.
1: The Food and Drug Administration greenlighted a new drug on Friday that could be life-changing for those with severe food allergies. So if you're one of the 20 million people in this country with a food allergy, help is on the way. Let's get to the bottom of it with WJR Senior News Analyst Marie Osborne. She joins us this morning and she has the details. Good morning, Marie. And good morning.
9: And specifically, this new breakthrough deals with people with multiple food allergies. Food allergies affect millions of people in this country, 20 million adults, about 4 million kids. The FDA has now approved the use of a medication called Zolaire to reduce allergic reactions. This drug does not eliminate food allergies. It just reduces the impact of the exposure, so people with the uh, allergies still have to avoid foods that cause a reaction. So how this works, Zolair is in a class of drugs called monoclonal antibodies, and it binds to the immunoglobulin E, which is an antibody type that triggers allergic reactions. It can block the body's natural response to these allergens. This class of drug was approved more than 20 years ago for people uh, to treat people with severe allergic asthma. They tested this on people who were allergic to peanuts and at least two other foods like milk or eggs say, and the results of the testing found that 68% of those people taking Zolaire could consume a tiny amount of say peanut uh, protein without a severe allergic reaction. About 17%, though, had no significant change in their reaction, but this is life-changing for a lot of people. The uh, drug also carries a box warning for anaphylaxis, a severe reaction. People do need to talk with their doctors about that. Right now, Zolaire is approved for certain adults and kids aged one or older. So guys, this is a big step for families that live with sometimes life-threatening food allergies.
2: Marie, um, will the insurance cover this? Is this expensive?
9: Well, I we I this is already in use. I don't know if the insurance will cover it. I'm assuming that it does because it is a common drug okay. used for allergies.
0: An injection of 150 milligrams is around fourteen hundred dollars. Mm. So that tells you that it certainly comes. I well, guess so. It it's it's kind of to some degree like a prophylactic, against a food allergy then.
9: Right. And what happens is, but you have to have these, these are people that have multiple food allergies, not okay. just one, multiple uh, food allergies. But if, if you've got a child or even an adult who has, a life-threatening allergy this can be life-saving about uh almost five million people in this country have peanut allergies that's the one we most often mm-hmm. think of and most of these people many of them develop this in adulthood which i was surprised to to oh. find out so this is something that even later in life you can be uh that become allergic to
2: and sometimes you know i mean you you know you're allergic to certain things but sometimes you may eat some by accident or get a little bit of some right. by accident and this will kind of help you not go into a really bad reaction. Well the
1: fear that people must live with this would quell some of that yeah. knowing that you've been taking this and it won't be life threatening. Right so that's the idea. It,
9: it um, just uh, reduces the impact of that exposure Jamie. That is exactly correct. You still might get sick. There still may be some issues but it
1: lessens that impact. And I read that it's not, you don't take this during the allergic reaction or incident. No. You it's take not like it. Narcan right. for right.
0: allergies. Yeah.
9: No. No, you'd have to take it. You have to take it. You know, it's uh, you have to take it ahead of time. Mm-hmm. You have to be aware of this. You have to know you have this allergy. That's how, this is the group of people this is targeted for. Okay
1: well uh, you know i think this is really promising for people who live in fear with you know whatever allergy you have so this is some good news we can report this morning thank you marie osborne thank you yeah
0: i we've we had a child in our family a nephew that was had terrible allergies to the point that if if there was a dish where nuts had been in the dish Mm -hmm. and there was still some dust in there that is that's how he couldn't even touch that i have a niece that it was the so same acute. thing with her. Yeah. Yeah. So this is this will be good. I'll make sure she knows about this. Wow. There, there, there is some hope that you can actually, you know, as you get older, grow your way out of those with micro dosing. But of she just things.
1: said that you could develop it later in life. Yeah. I didn't know that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I actually had a, a partner who developed uh, asthma uh, later on in life. Mm. It, was, it, was, it was terribly debilitating. Um, interesting story from the automotive world because we only got a couple minutes here. Um, you remember the big Cybertruck that was introduced out in L.A.? This had to be, like, more than five years ago. I was out there covering the LA Auto Show for us. And Elon Musk had this big thing. And he, At one point, he took, a like, a, a weight, and he dropped it against the window of the Cybertruck to show us how resilient it was, and the window shattered. I mean, the Cybertruck has had a very tumultuous <laughs> rollout. Well, they finally have them out on the roads, and now owners are calling in and upset that they're experiencing rust on the stainless steel body of the Cybertruck, this this new. And you got to wonder, how does that happen? How do you bring it to market without knowing that there's a vulnerability there? Um, but their, their, their remedy for it is kind of unique. There's only been one other mainline stainless steel bodied vehicle that has been in production in the last 40 years and it was the DeLorean. So they're oh. going back to old DeLorean fan sites and collector sites to say, "Okay, how do you guys deal with this? What do you do about it rust and
1: uh, or don't take it out in the rain and inclement weather?" There yeah, you go. Know.
0: Yeah, but it's supposed to be this hyper durable cyber truck. I do think it is the perhaps the ugliest vehicle that's ever been uh <laughs> that's ever been produced and and that includes the Pontiac Aztec. So, I mean, that oh, that the
2: Aztek, I forgot about that. That, oh. that
0: covers a lot of ground there. But um, yeah, we'll uh, yeah, Paul Eisenstein writing about it in uh, Headlight News, and we're going to be talking with Paul a little bit later on at eight thirty-five about the fact that the Biden administration making a major course correction and now telling the EPA we'd like to move the goalposts, give automakers, give consumers more time for the EV transition. Um, What does that do to automakers that have already invested billions? How is the climate lobby reacting to that? We'll get into that with Paul uh, coming up at 835. But I also want to ask him about the the cyber cyber truck truck rust (laughs) Uh, because that, I mean, that is not an inexpensive truck. That is – it comes with a pretty – How
1: much is it? Do you have that in front of you?
0: I'm looking at it right now, and I can't find it. But, I mean, it was – it's it's not competitive. You you gotta you gotta love that on <laughs> the truck to know. a lot. We'll be back. Don Shane, uh, the old sports guy at Channel Seven, had a, a saying that I <laughs> I really liked. He says, "The only thing that surprises me is that I continue to be surprised." And I kind of feel that way about some of the some of the shootings we've seen recently in Detroit. The one this morning, I, I don't know why I'm so shocked because it's not all that. Un, sadly, not that unusual. It's not, and we continue to follow this uh, story. An 11 year old girl fighting
2: for her life after being shot in the head. That's according to police. The residents in the 6000 block of Pennsylvania near Gratiot 994 had about 20 people inside when two assailants. Approached the house around 4 this morning and just started firing a bunch of gunshots. Assistant Chief Charles Fitzgerald described the scene as is being very horrible and that all the people heard was a bunch of shots coming from outside about 23 shots to be exact were discharged one of which struck the innocent child who was sleeping on the couch. The victim's aunt and uncle rushed her to a nearby hospital where she remains in critical condition. This is not the first attack on this residence. A similar shooting happened back in December of last year, though fortunately no injuries were reported. Authorities are actively uh, searching for these two suspects. They were caught on camera, like approaching the house with the guns and doing the shooting. So hopefully they will get some information and someone will turn them in and get them off the street because they need to be gone.
0: In the meantime, uh, one of the rare incidents of crime, violent crime, in uh, in Troy, in the hospitality sector there, outside of Ruth's Chris Steakhouse, a woman exiting after having dinner there, uh, shot several times in the legs in what appears to be a targeted uh, attack. Uh, Troy police insisting that this was not a kind of a random no. thing. Um, The woman is in stable condition in the hospital. Uh, Hazel Park Police uh, saw the Dodge Durango that was used in the escape. Gave Chase lost it when it got to Detroit. Um, You can bet that that woman, uh, if she was targeted, is hopefully giving police some good information on who uh, wanted her dead. Scary. It is. Uh, Both incidents. I I do believe that this was not a random attack. It's the random attacks that really are doubly...
1: yeah, right. but there are a lot of innocent people walking around Ruth's mm. Chris Steakhouse. No yeah. question,
0: if you pay your bill a little earlier right. and you're walking up behind her, you would have been in in, in the, the crossfire. In yeah. the crossfire.
1: And yeah. this poor little girl sleeping, not in the bothering
0: of the anybody, night. It has nothing to do with nothing.
1: Oh, it just you know. breaks my heart.
0: Well, and they, yeah, they think nothing of putting kids in harm's way. They no. know that what they're doing is illegal. They know that they're drawing attention. Yeah. And and. Uh, Uh, let's find something happy here that is the wings had a rare midday game on our holiday yesterday that was a heck of a game Uh,
1: i love you know it's hockey season now let's focus on the playoffs upcoming i love the nhl playoffs the red wings wrapped up a west coast road trip with an overtime win over the seattle kraken ben charat scored the game winner in ot so the red wings went at four to three that gave them four points on the four-game road trip, and their record now is 29-20 in six, strengthening their hold on a wild card in the Eastern Conference playoff race. Playoffs! Currently, they're in the second wild card spot, four points ahead of the New Jersey Devils, 27 games to go. So, it seems like playoffs could return to Hockey Town. And they could right.
0: get an even better draw here, because, I mean, they are only a couple points behind the Tampa Bay Lightning, and... Uh there's there's one other ahead that they could overtake. I mean, there's definitely
1: there are a lot of different scenarios with yeah. 27 games to go. Teams get hot down the stretch. Hopefully, it's the Red Wings.
0: Yeah. In the meantime, the Bruins are just. On Why
1: are they always so good Meyer. in the regular season? <laughs> <laughs> I, I know.
0: And then uh, we shall see. The um, there's there, we we could see on the November ballot something uh, in the way of a ballot proposal that would eliminate all property taxes. In Michigan and as as good as that may sound to you understand the chaos that would ensue were you to eliminate it um, services it, yeah that wouldn't I, get you know the,
4: but your schools yeah
0: you know I mean it it, it, it is it is a foundation of course you know, We've seen some areas that, for instance, oil and gas states that have a heck of a lot of oil and gas revenue. You can eliminate something like that because you've got other alternative sources of revenue. Mm-hmm. If you're a tourist destination like Florida, you can do away with uh, your income tax because you got sales taxes that are going to drive it. And a lot right. of outsiders are going to pay that. We don't have that here in Michigan. So um, this is something likely that you may be asked to sign a petition. They're called Axe My Tax." And they are seeking a spot on the November ballot, and um, and what their you know their argument is is this should be pay as you go with if you want to go the, the quote in the Detroit News today is if I want to go to the gym nobody pays my gym membership for me uh, if I'm not going to use the schools why should I pay property taxes for yeah. them well because it supports the value of your home duh uh, but that's 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 the argument <laughs> duh that they're that they're bringing. Um, yeah, try to sell your home if if you don't have a school system, yeah, right, or if it's a depleted school system, right. So, um, but it's a, it it will be a debate coming your way. But when someone serves up that petition at you when you're going to the farmers market, whatever it may be, if those petitions get approved, uh, think thoughtfully and think deeply on it before you sign it. It it's going to sound good.
1: No, look them in the face and go, duh. <laughs> right. <laughs>
0: Yeah, that wasn't probably not my not my most mature analysis. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> I loved it. <laughs>
0: the quiet part coming yeah. out, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then there's that, and then there's this story, which is just kind of, in there are a lot of these out there. But um, some psychologists at the Denver, Florida, at the Denver VA, the Rocky Mountain VA, said that under the Biden administration, there is a new gender sensitivity policy that says that male veterans that identify as females. Can come into the female section of the VA hospital. Some psychologists who render services there said they thought that. Well, they criticized it. They said that this this policy puts women vets at risk. They've been reassigned. They've been mm. punished.
1: The people who thought it was who
0: who, who 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 for speaking their minds. Wow, in defense of veterans. And what they think are best practices as clinicians Um, they have been reassigned because heaven forbid should you you know just ask the question is this common sense does this make sense that you've got vulnerable veterans who are seeking medical care Mm -hmm. there
5: Mm
0: -hmm. um, and they are female should that be one of the many other things that they got to worry about while they're there and I am all for sensitivity Mm -hmm. but there has to be some boundaries and some limitations. Wow. And this is. Make people uh, not want to speak up. Well, exactly. Well, you, you should know, be able to speak up. Yeah, for, for sure. Uh, no no question. Um, we uh, had a great discussion, and perhaps you want to visit WGR.com. This benefits thing is really amazing that the city council is going to be taking up today. Is. There's a lot at stake. This may be the one of the most consequential economic developments we've seen in a long, long time. You know, so much of it is piecemeal. Mm-hmm. This is like a, a giant enchilada. It's in a of, neighborhood. I mean, it's health care. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's health care benefits. It is housing. housing. That we Affordable need. housing.
1: Yeah. And, and there are community members who say they want more input into what their community transforms into. So, I mean, we'll see.
0: Which which is important. But it, yeah. we've, we've gotten to a kind of a sad dance here in this community. When anybody, somebody, whenever somebody wealthy is seeking An incentive to do something good that will bring that investment into line so they're getting a reasonable return not a loss there's like this instant reaction as if we expect billionaires to take a loss on investments right just because they're billionaires yeah and it's it's almost an anti-wealth class warfare thing that is gonna hold this community back if we keep doing we're not the only city or
2: who who does this you know what that has you know a lot of uh, development going on in, in the city we're not the only ones.
0: yeah it's um, it's it's very reflexive and uh, hopefully we've got some uh, very open-minded people on council that will say yeah maybe we need to sweeten the deal mm-hmm. maybe it needs to be not quite so generous but this is something that needs to move forward when we come back we know heaven knows Lloyd and I are on oh this boy. train I'm
1: excited you guys <laughs> Let's we're focus on fit. our fitness.
0: Jamie Edmonds has decided that she's going to whip us into shape. And uh, <laughs> that includes you, WJR mm-hmm. listeners. We, mm-hmm. we're, we're focusing a lot more on health on this show, and this is part of that. So, uh, you Let's wanna, get into it. Yeah, let's, well, let's talk about what's coming up next.
1: We all have plumbing issues, especially when it's an older home like mine. And I think the hardest thing is finding the right plumber who you can trust. Well, a couple weeks ago, I had Shelby Mechanical out to my house and there isn't a company I trust more after seeing what they did for us. They replaced a toilet and handled a couple of plumbing issues we were having and their service tech was great. He communicated what needed to be done. He noticed the toilet we bought didn't have all the right materials, so he went to the store for me, made sure everything was installed properly. I'd like to personally thank the team from Shelby Mechanical. Shelby Mechanical is truly Metro Detroit's residential and commercial expert in plumbing, sewer, or drain problems for reasonable prices. Right now, you can get a Bradford White Infinity Series tankless water heater installed with zero interest for 12 months. To get same-day or next-day plumbing service, call Shelby Mechanical for your home or office at 586-726-9444 or visit shelbymechanical.net. That's shelbymechanical.net. For projects big and small, you know who to call. Shelby Mechanical for all your plumbing needs. All of us have said we need to get in better shape. We need to get healthier. And we were talking about it between the three of us that we're all in sort of different stages of life and different issues, but we'd like to do it. Yeah. So I said, let's do it. Let's focus on fitness and let's bring someone in. I'll go through a program. You guys can also, as you're listening, come along with us. We're going to talk about recipes and just little things we all can do to just better ourselves. Does that sound good? Sounds good. Should we do it? And I think
0: we've talked about different things we can focus on Mm -hmm. as as an aging weekend warrior and yep. all, all, all my games have injured me in some way it's I'm, I'm always in some form of therapy so be, I may be doing some stuff on how to how to prevent those injuries
7: from happening
1: and let's talk about it with everybody so we could all go on this journey together and I'm going to bring in Donnie Yeager owner of Detroit Thrive I've done this program before and I know that I felt like I was the healthiest I'd ever been when I did his program so let's bring him in good morning Donnie
10: good morning guys how you doing good
1: Okay, so first for listener benefit, if people are out there, Donnie, like us, and they want to get healthier, what are some little small things they could do right now, change the day today.
10: Sure. So, you know, I would focus first on just a five-minute action. What's something really simple, really straightforward that takes less than five minutes to kind of implement? And obviously, simple one, great this time of year. It's a beautiful day outside going for like a five-minute walk, just getting some fresh air, getting some vitamin D, being exposed to a little bit of the elements, very simple and straightforward, five minutes, start there and kind of go from you know, that one-step-at-a-time approach.
1: Okay, that's good. What about these people that are carrying around, like looks like garbage cans of water, just huge things <laughs> of water? <laughs>
0: I was, was going to ask, what about hydration? Because yeah. it can make a
1: huge difference, can't it?
10: Absolutely. You know, hydration is something that we consider one of our fundamentals or foundational type things. You know, the big three is going to be steps, right? We talked about that with just going for a five minute walk, right? You guys are hitting on number two, kind of hydration, which so many people, unfortunately, don't drink enough water on a daily basis. And then the third one would be sleep, right? Those are kind of like the cornerstones of setting ourselves up to be successful and getting that health in, in order.
2: How many hours, when you talk about sleep, how, how much sleep?
10: So we generally find that for your average adult, you're looking at seven to eight hours a night on minimum. Now, some people can operate on a little bit less. Some people need a little bit more, but that's kind of like a good thing. What you could do is always, you know, track it, and then give yourself just a quick, you know, one to 10 scale on how you feel after you had X number of hours of sleep You should be able to dial that in to what is a good number for you.
0: Now, here's a question for you. Do those hours have to be consecutively? Or, you know, we've got a lot of early risers. We've got a lot of third shift workers that listen to this show. I mean, can you, you, uh, if you are in sleep deficit, can you cure it with a one-hour or 90-minute nap?
10: So it's never going to be as effective as we'd like it to be, right? What we need is we need those consecutive hours so that we can get into those deep REM cycles of sleep, right? That's when we're gonna have the most regenerative, the most recovery-based sleep. It's when we really are dreaming like heavily, you know, and you, you wake up and you're like, oh my gosh, that was a really crazy dream. Those are those REM times. Yes, doing a nap, you know, 30, 40 minutes is gonna help us at least stay above water but if we continuously cut and miss out on those deep recovery hours of sleep, eventually it's, it's going to build up and you're going to be kind of sleep deprived.
1: What about eating? What is something that people can do out there that could change it quickly? Like I said, if we're going to make a small change today, what could we do in terms of eating?
10: Sure. We can start looking at protein, right? Protein is a huge macronutrient that so many people neglect right the average american eats way too many carbs not enough vegetables and they think they're getting the right amount of protein but in general they're not and simple way to kind of check that is if you have you know a 10 dollar food scale you can get it on amazon or any of the local stores here and then you'd actually weigh that protein out i know it seems kind of like a lot but it's actually not and once you do it for a week or two You'll be able to eyeball what like four to six ounces of any type of protein is. And that really helps if you get those, you know, three to four times a day, keeping us satisfied and helping our body recover and metabolize food efficiently.
2: How much uh, How much is it the kitchen, the food,
10: and how much is the fitness part? Oh, geez. Even as a gym owner, I'm going to tell you the food is where you're going to, you know, win it. People say abs are not made in the gym, they're made in the kitchen. But it's so important to do both of them together because it's what we call that synergy effect. You can diet all you want, but if you're not addressing your muscles and your movement and the way that your body functions, you're missing out on a huge other side of the coin thing. And if you only exercise and you think you can out train a bad diet, then you've got a hard learning curve ahead of you. So we call it like the synergy effect, right? One plus one equals three. When you eat right, it makes you want to move more. And when you move more, you want to eat right. So doing them together is absolutely essential for long-term success.
0: So what do you think about these convenience proteins, the protein bars and, you know, they're, they're massive medics, whatever, and it'll say 23 grams mm-hmm. or the the shakes, the, 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 the insurance. Yeah. The insurers, the shakes, things like that. Are those meaningful substitutes? Absolutely. There's a place and a time for those,
10: right? We shouldn't be using them as our only protein source, right? We need real protein, whether it's animal-based or plant-based, but those are what we, good, we call good supplements. So they can help bridge gaps where we're not able to, you know, have like a full meal or we, you know, need some extra protein to help us recover. And, you know, it's a very easy and convenient way to get it.
1: Well, I'm going to do the program. I'm going to say it right now on the air. I'm going to do the six-week program. I'm going to eat the way they tell me to eat. Mm-hmm. And Donnie says we could post. They do this cool thing where they tell it, you it's not just weighing you. Right, Donnie?
3: Yeah, so we have a uh,
10: in-body machine. And what's cool about the in-body is so many people start their fitness journeys, and they have really, really good intentions about getting in shape, right? And, you know, they start exercising. They start eating healthy. And after a week, they step on their home scale, and nothing's changed. And they're like, oh, my gosh, I'm a special snowflake. Exercise and good nutrition just doesn't work for me. When in reality, if you have an in-body, what it does is it does a full electroanalysis scan. So it sends electrical current, can't feel it uh, through your body. But it allows us to measure all the good things. So our muscle, our fat, tendons, ligaments, bone, hydration, right? We can tell visceral fat and It allows us to see what the actual changes that are happening. So we'll know if you gained two pounds of fat, or I'm sorry, two pounds of muscle, and you lost two pounds of fat, your scale weight would say that you didn't change. Right. But in reality, that was a great week, and that's something to celebrate. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I'm going to post it somewhere. We're going to figure out how to do this. We're going to take people along on the ride, and we're going to post some um, recipes that other people can use and just try and take people along. We're going to do it for six weeks. Donnie's going to join us periodically. Are you guys ready?
0: I'm ready. I'm ready. Yeah, should we okay. go through that the electrical thing and yeah, get you our evaluation come? as well? Yeah.
1: Donnie, can they come too? 10 seconds. Absolutely. All
0: right. Low All right. voltage, please.
1: all right let's let's do this fitness focus guys donnie i'm very excited i'll see you later on today uh coming up we're going to talk with paul eisenstein senior contributing editor for headline.com we're going to talk cars next on jr morning
0: Auto dealers, automakers, and consumers all lamenting the fact that the EV transition has more speed bumps in it than perhaps most of us anticipated. And especially for the automakers, they've begun to see a slowing. Make no mistake, electric vehicle sales are still increasing. They're just not increasing at the rate that they were before or the rate that was anticipated. And that means some adjustments. But the Biden administration wasn't showing any inclination in allowing for that regulatorily speaking. Well, now they are. Uh, The Biden administration is asking the EPAs to engage in some flexibility in terms of the deadline by which automakers need to reach 65% EV sales. For instance, what are the long-term impacts, short-term impacts of this? Paul Eisenstein, Senior Contributing Editor for Headlight.News, joining us live this morning with some analysis on that. Paul, good morning. Hey, good morning, guy. Good to be with you. And uh, by the way, I'm
11: glad you got that right. A lot of people get that story wrong. They think that EV sales are
0: slowing. It's just the rate of growth. You nailed it. Thank you. Well, we're, we we try to be accurate every now and then. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, the but the, this how significant is it that the Biden administration, especially under the political pressures that they are seeing from both Trump and others, are saying, you know what, we need an adjustment. I'm impressed with this. Uh, Think about
11: how many times we as people in just conversations talk about we wish the government were more flexible to adjust to real world situations as situations change. So the fact that they are rolling this back, or at least they're planning to delay this, not eliminate it, but delay it, uh, means a, a level of flexibility you don't normally see from Washington. Uh, and, and we'll see exactly what happens. This is a proposal. We understand we haven't gotten clear guidance yet, so we'll have to wait for uh, for the president or somebody in the EPA to give us the final the final decision.
2: Paul, what do you think? Uh, some of the key points we should be looking for with these uh, revisions. I mean, is, is there anything specific? Uh, any specific changes that could have a significant impact on on the industry?
11: Yeah. It. it would appear that they're giving the industry a bit more time uh, before they have to reach uh, well basically as much as two-thirds of the new vehicle market going all electric there could be other changes worked in i i have yet to get sources to give me a really full indication of what they're planning but i know that the that, that there's a lot of talk about tweaking the market tweaking the plans to reflect the fact that there are other ways to bridge the gap between all electric and all gas. Uh, We may see, for example, some proposals in the White House to talk about the move to hybrids. Uh, Mm -hmm. We're we're seeing huge growth in the sale of hybrids, the best known out there, of course, being the, the Toyota Prius. Uh, they, they outsold EVs last year just slightly, uh, but they're continuing to grow at a fairly fast clip. And you remember just a couple weeks ago, General Motors said that it's going to add plug-in hybrids to its fleet. They weren't going to do that. They were going to go all electric only. Uh, plug-in hybrids usually give you enough range to cover, depending on the model, anywhere from about 25 to 50 miles or more in all electric mode, meaning most people who own a plug-in can go days, weeks, even months before they burn a drop of gasoline. Uh, we may see the administration start talking about the benefits of that. Uh, but again, we'll have to wait to see what the exact changes the EPA come up comes up with.
1: Paul, you said this is a good sign. because I mean, the auto dealers were saying, hey, the consumer isn't ready yet for all electric. And do you think this sort of pauses just a little bit and gets the infrastructure time to catch up?
11: I think that's one of the critical reasons uh by delaying this slightly there are there are several good things one consumers tend to according to jd power and other studies get much more comfortable with evs once they actually ride them and especially when they drive them it's quite interesting to see the numbers turn around people that say before they get in them i don't want one and what they say afterwards it tends to be a big change uh so people get more experience word of mouth gets around improvements in batteries. We have Ford Motor Company saying it's shifting gears, so to speak, to put more emphasis on developing affordable EVs. So we're gonna see more affordable EVs start to come to market. This gives an opportunity for the industry to bring those out. And of course, to get the infrastructure. Uh, we we are seeing many, many more EV chargers out there in public, but there's still a lot more that are needed. So I think this is this is probably the right move uh, EVs are eventually going to take over. Uh, you may have some long-term uh, need for plug-ins where people uh, say with some pickups and the like, but EVs will eventually take over. But this gives time to get it right, rather than forcing uh, the manufacturers to put stuff that's not quite ready for everyone out there in the market.
0: We well, should point out that the the green lobby, though, is blasting this big time, saying, Uh, It's going to mean uh, warmer weather. It's going to mean hotter summers. It's going to mean more kids with asthma. But, I mean, the folks at Toyota have made a pretty, uh, I think, compelling argument on the other side, saying for most families, you will shrink your carbon footprint by 80% with a plug-in.
11: Yeah. As I said before, uh, people I know who have plug-in hybrids uh, tell me that they go sometimes several months before they wind up burning a drop of gas. The reality is that most people typically drive less than 50 miles a day, even if they've got long commutes. So plug-in hybrids have proved to be very, very popular with those folks who want to go electric but yeah. still aren't comfortable when they, say, want to go up to Traverse City over the uh, over the holiday the like. Uh, I think plug-in hybrids are going to gain a lot of momentum. Yeah, my son's uh, got as, a Honda Clarity, enough, loves
0: it. And, and he's, I mean, it has maximum flexibility. He never fills it up, but if he needs to take it on a long trip, he can. Yeah, exactly. Uh,
11: the reality is EVs are delivering more and more range. I can take mine uh, all the way up to Traverse City. I probably would want to stop and uh, and charge up at least one point along the way, but you're seeing more and more EVs that are 250, 300, even over 400 miles of range now. And you're just going to continue to see improvement. Uh, Anybody that thinks – I'm a little bit disappointed in the the environmental lobby on this one. I understand why they're taking the position, but the reality is it wasn't like we were going to see a switch to 100% EVs in the next five years. I don't think that we're going to see the industry slow down the rollout of EVs. The acceleration is going to happen. There are improvements in technology coming. There are more low-cost EVs coming. There are more chargers coming. I think what's happening is that the Biden administration, the EPA, they've looked at the numbers, they've looked at what the reality is, and rather than force things to happen a couple years earlier than it could, with consumers really adapting to EVs, they're reflecting the reality of the marketplace.
2: Paul, politically, how does the UAW play in this? Did they have? Uh, did they play a part as well? And the president saying, you know, we're going to slow things down a little.
11: Well, I would be stunned if there weren't politics involved in the decision. And everything's politics. Heck, where I want to go for dinner tonight is politics, right? Uh, but uh, UAW, UAW had said that they were a little concerned about the speed at which the Biden administration was moving. Uh, but they also then endorsed him. So uh, was there a little bit of a nudge from the UAW? No question.
0: Got Got to ask you before we let you go, Paul. The Cybertruck, long-awaited, kind of had some problems on its rollout. It's finally out there. The early adopters are buying it, and now they're complaining that they're seeing rust. What kind of rust are they seeing? Legit story, and uh, (laughs) what do you do about it? Well,
11: uh, we're still trying to figure out how serious it is. These are owners who've been posting on Tesla's Cybertruck forums and websites, uh, it appears to be little dots. There's a lot of debates over ongoing debates over what it is. Some people say it's quote rail dust, the iron particles that uh, that somehow get into the air when trains you know wear out the the rails. Uh, I I don't believe that that's the the major source of the problem. We just don't know how serious it is. Uh, we've seen one or two Tesla engineers weigh in, downplay it. The good news is you can buff it off. Believe it or not. The, uh, an iron scrub brush on uh, on your vehicle uh, w- this story is going to play out we're going to have
0: to see how serious it is <laughs> i understand they're reaching out to delorean owners for help <laughs> yeah i mean one of the one of the things i expect we'll see is that
11: tesla's going to start pushing people to opt to get their vehicles coated whether with those vinyl wraps we see or to pay extra to get a clear coat on the vehicle. Believe it or not, uh, that steel is as plain as the steel you have in your
0: sink. Yeah, but how did they not anticipate that this could be a problem? Uh,
11: That's a big question. How did they anticipate that uh, uh, autopilot wouldn't occasionally cause crashes when it malfunctions?
0: When you call it autopilot.
11: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Tesla, (laughs) unfortunately, one of the problems we have with that manufacturer is they tend to like to experiment on their owners. And I think this may be happening now.
0: Paul, uh, we thank you. We'll await to see what the rulemaking is from the Biden administration. Could get a, a decision on this late March or early April. Thank you, sir. Good to be with you. You're on JR Morning. Uh, Detroit police and others, Troy police, have a be on the lookout for a a white Durango that was used in that shooting uh, last night at the Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. Um, I'm going to put that on your radar if you see something suspicious. But then uh, they also want you to be on the lookout for a trailer and for a very heartwarming and also, I guess, kind of heartbreaking
2: reason. Yeah, Dearborn police are on the lookout for a stolen white trailer containing boxes of toys worth about $2,000. Collected for the Toys for Tots charity, the trailer, which disappeared from the parking lot of Marine Corps League Detachment 152 on Maple Street between February 11th and February 12th, is a crucial component for transporting aid to veterans and underprivileged children. Toys for Tots organizer Phil Smith, a former Marine, expressed hurt over the theft. If you have the trailer, bring it back. That's all I can say to him. Bring it back. Smith spoke with Channel 7. Last season alone, Toys for Tots distributed nearly 25 million toys to over 10 million economically disadvantaged children, highlighting the impact of the charity. The stolen trailer is a 1986 Continental 8-foot enclosed model. It bears license plate number D908342 and a vehicle information number of 411530. It lacks a side entry door and features a dent on the front with a silver panel near the tongue. Anyone with information, they're urged to call Dearborn Police, or you can call Crime Stoppers, who have uh, given up a one thousand dollar reward for any information leading to the trailer's recovery. Their number is one eight hundred Speak Up. These are leftover toys from
0: from, right. from the holiday, from Christmas. That
1: right. would you be used again? Again,
0: yeah. And so somebody.
1: This is terrible.
0: Just took it. Yeah, and you know when the Marines tell you give it back. back. You best heed. Yeah, <laughs> heed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, here's an interesting story. It, it, Nick just passed this along to us. Um, <laughs> and as a mom, I want your reaction to it. The new Lincoln Nautilus has a feature that I don't think I've ever heard of before. It is a fragrance system. So instead of you know, hanging that annoying pine tree from the rear Once view. the new car smell leaves? Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. This is a digital fragrance generator where you can actually choose what fragrance you want to enhance your, your vehicle experience. It's kind of like a, it's just, you know, a kind of an enhancer for their ultra luxe options. Mm-hmm. Pheromones. Um,
1: I, I don't think I, I need this. I thought about that. <laughs> Pheromones. Okay. <laughs> Didn't go there, but Lloyd did. Um, I don't think I need this in my life.
0: Okay, let me, let me, okay. You got a stinky diaper in the back? (laughs) Crank that (laughs) Yeah, I know, that's right. (laughs) Give me lavender and give me now. But then it just
1: smells like stinky diaper and (laughs) lavender.
0: Or, 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 yeah, someone pooped in a pine forest. Right. Right. (laughs) There you (laughs) go.
1: <laughs> there was an old like Jeff Foxworthy thing where if you spray after you go yeah. to the restroom, uh-huh. some guy comes out, Lloyd, have you been planting flowers in here?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seven uh, different fragrances. Wow. Sunlight Retreat, Twilight Embers, Serene Seashore. Oh my God. And Cloud Balsam. Cloud Balsam. No, no sandalwood. No. Um, of course, then it's, it smells like a dope den. It, yeah, you right, can go exactly. a little crazy with the I incense. do like a
1: burning candle, so maybe I would like this.
0: Right. And this, so, it, I, you know, and again, it's an option. If this is, you know, if you're into, um, and there's a lot of people that believe in, you know, aromatherapy. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, I do. I mean, I think. Maybe it's just because I have a very prominent snooter on the front of my face, but I I think there's a lot you, can, you there's a lot you can enhance your mood with. Sure, with, with going with out, moment. you know, a little date night. Or yeah, something, you know, uh, one you of the only
1: more turn it on thick when you're go- going on your date.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to make them sick. <laughs> 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 like I'm sick, I don't feel like going now. <laughs>
0: Yeah, when your wife suddenly turns turns the uh the fragrance meter up in your car you you just take the hint yeah um all right the michigan central station teasing us big time last night putting the date up 6 uh we have since learned uh that that is going to be the official grand opening date but i think it's really more of a kickoff date i've got a feeling that this is going to be a series of events throughout the summer uh, that we can all enjoy and celebrate is this majestic architectural gem. Yeah, is uh, reimagined and given new life. It was slated uh, for completion late last year. Uh, you know, faced some delays,
2: uh, but um, once it's finished, it's going to take another four to six months. You know, to get tenants in and the tenant preparations as well. So that's probably the 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 day that it's just going to open.
1: It looks beautiful if it you does. see the picture. I'm telling on you. WJR radio on Twitter. Um it looks beautiful. They cleaned up the park in front and just those big numbers. It's ex- it's exciting for that area.
0: For so long. From
1: whence it came. For so long.
0: Well, and you were reminding me today that Mike Duggan kind of had a challenge for he the did. for the um out, not our media necessarily, no. but for the
2: external media. Mm-hmm. He said that he was going to invite them back when it opened because that picture was on every newspaper across the country when we went into bankruptcy. Yeah, and it was just like
0: well, and before,
2: yeah, and well, it was always on, but it, they really expanded mm-hmm. it for bankruptcy. It kind of enlightened their stories by having yeah. that picture there. But he wants them to all come back now to see what it looks like. You know now. who
1: should come, Stephen A. Smith.
0: Oh. <clears throat> Absolutely.
2: Ooh. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. He Invite should. him. You know, and I got a feeling that Stephen A would come.
1: All right. I think, I think so. he would. I give him a ring.
0: I just, uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, might have, people to, call your I people. might have to go through go through Rob Parker, but I'll maybe, maybe, maybe I'm sure, you know, Mitch could extend that. Oh, sure. I, sure of course, course. You know, yeah. Uh Yeah. But yeah, get him in. There. But I like the idea that, I mean, you and I have for 30 years have been mm-hmm. watching the New York Times, the Washington Post, USA Today, airdrop so called journalists here. And they spend maybe one or two days write the you know a horrific piece about yep. Detroit. And yes, it News would be it would be either Dodge Main, the Packard plant, or yep. the train, or station. train station, or quite often all three. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, you know it would be the the poster child for urban decay. Well, not not anymore anymore. Uh, now, if we can just get the Packard plant up and running, we'll be back tomorrow at six. We hope you'll join us then. All talk is next. Have a great day.